Can you hear my uh, Blendtec in the background there? Betty's making Betty's making a smoothie. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the protagonist. I'm Joseph Dorowski here with Todd Mack, and each week we look at a great character in a great story. Today we'll be discussing Rick Blaine from the 1943 film Casablanca, as played by Humphrey Bogart. The film is directed by Michael Curtiz. Uh, this film won the Academy Award for Outstanding Motion Picture, Best Actor, and Best Screenplay, and was nominated in five other care, uh, five other categories. I'm excited about this film. It's a good one, uh, and it, it's interesting that it was nominated for Best Screenplay because if you are aware at all of the production history, this thing was chaos when it was in production. It had multiple screenwriters and multiple uncredited screenwriters. It was based on an unproduced play that they rewrote extensively. Bogey was making changes, uh, but there it is, Best Screenplay. It was nominated for. But you know what? I really like the screenplay, and I was reading that um, apparently they pitched this screenplay like in the 80s to a bunch of film studios and everybody came back and said, Oh, that's a horrible film. (laughs) Who wasn't recognizing uh, the film? (laughs) I don't know, but apparently they sent it to like, you know, screeners at at these uh, film studios. And they said, that's a, that's terrible. There's not enough sex and nobody's going to, it's too slow. Nobody's going to like this film. A lot of people like this film. I was looking and on uh, rotten tomatoes, it is 98% approval rating. The two curmudgeons who did not like it were uh, Time Magazine wrote a review in 2009 uh, that was unfavorable. It says, nothing short of an invasion could add much to Casablanca, is the little pull quote that they use. Uh, And then the other one, hold on, I'm trying to pull it up right now. So Time Magazine was one of the curmudgeons that did not like it. And the other curmudgeon was Low IQ Canadian, also gave it a rotten rating. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I love that person's reviews. Low IQ Canadian? You follow them? Low IQ Canadian? Oh. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Religiously. Yes. I, well, I mean, they're right there with time on this one. Yeah. Well, they're in good company. <laughs> they're the two people in the universe that don't like this film. <laughs> yes. So this film, it's, uh, it's famous. It's iconic, uh, as, as you've said, and as Ron Tomatoes proves. And it's kind of... Uh, Interesting to, to try and summarize the plot. I'm trying to think of how to do a quick summary for this. Um, and I think if I had to, had to do it very briefly, I would say uh, it's a little before America enters World War II. And there's an American named Rick who has a nightclub in a city called Casablanca. Casablanca is a point where a lot of refugees from Europe are funneling through. And uh, in the process of you know living his life there at this weird political point where... It's it's neutral, but it's not. There's lots of uh, intrigue going on. Rick encounters an old girlfriend uh, who comes through the city, and she's trying to get papers for her and her husband to be able to escape. And the big drama is uh, both the political intrigue and this interpersonal relationship of Rick and his, his old girlfriend and her husband and whether or not he's going to help them. If that description of this film sounded interesting to you, then you need to click in the show notes on the Amazon link, buy this film, and then watch it. And they come back and listen to the rest of the podcast because we're going to spoil everything. So if you don't want to be spoiled, then you got to watch the film first. And uh, we're going into spoiler territory now. So, Todd, uh, we chose this as the first film we were going to descri- uh, discuss in our podcast. How familiar with Casablanca are you before watching it with a critical eye towards the character Rick Blaine? 
So the first time I watched this film, I was taking a film noir and contemporary Iberian literature class at BYU. And I watched lots of um, these old classic films, noir. I think that's how you say it. I've heard it pronounced many different ways. Noir, (laughs) noir. I'm I'm comfortable with noir. Okay. So, uh, no, I'm not worried about noir. I'm worried about the the film. Where where the plural is. You say film noirs or films noir? It feels like it should be films, films noir. Films noir. Because noir is the adjective, actually. <laughs> this, so you'd pluralize an This is why people listen to this podcast. <laughs> All so, right, films uh, noir. So then this film was recommended, and I know, I know that this is not really uh, tech, probably technically a film noir, but my net's pretty wide, and and uh, so anyway, so I watched the film and I really enjoyed it. And I think that was the first time I saw this film. I watched it maybe two or three times since then. All right, yeah. uh, our producer Andrew has just come in with some information. The plural form of film noir is films noirs. Films noir. Noirs. You pluralize both. Uh, I'm assuming in French you pluralize adjectives. Is what's happening? Uh, you, you do, but here's the thing. Here's the kicker. This is coming from in Word Spanish. Hippo. So it is. I'm pretty sure that you're not going to pronounce the S at the end of films noir. I'm just reading from Word Hippo. That's sounds authoritative to me, but I did not. Yeah, I'm not. The pronunciation. I, I would not. I'm not disputing. I'm not disputing the spelling. I would. I would dispute the pronunciation. You are welcome to correct my, my French any films, day of the week. I think you say films noir. Okay, and, and but just assume an there was an S there. Yep, that's how French rolls, man. Okay. Just add like E A U X Z S at the end of any word, and it's uh, automatically French. But none of those letters are pronounced. Okay, that's how you do it. That's what they taught me in all my French classes. And you had a lot of those. E E A U X. I studied French for two years, man. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I growing up, I saw snippets of this film many times. It's one of my parents' favorite films. In fact, we had a dog growing up who was named Bogey which was short for Humphrey Bogart, <laughs> the dog. <laughs> I remember Bogey. Yeah, he was a good dog. Uh, but uh, so, so I saw snippets. I don't think I actually sat down and watched it until I was in college, though. And I've watched it a few times since. It is a fantastic film. I'll tell you what. The first time that I was really exposed to Casablanca was in the original Ninja Turtles movie. There's a scene when they're going down into the sewers and uh, I think it's Michelangelo is talking to April O'Neil, and he and he spouts the whole, the famous line at the end, the airport thing. It's pretty awesome. Todd, I believe you're referencing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two: The Secret of the Ooze. Oh my gosh! Which we may discuss at a future date. Okay. Uh, <laughs> in in this podcast. <laughs> okay, I'll correct your French. You correct my Ninja Turtles references. Right, happily, happily, I think that's a good system. Okay. Uh, a couple bits of trivia I discovered about this film and listening to some of the commentaries and just poking around. Uh, originally, it was announced that Ronald Reagan, Reagan will be playing the part of Rick Blaine, uh, taking yeah, the, the part that eventually was played by, by Bogart was going to be played by Ronald Reagan. Can you, can you see that, Todd? You know, I, uh, I can't say that I've seen Reagan. I don't know that I've ever sat all the way through a Reagan film. I was going to say, have you ever seen Reagan the man? You don't know that you've ever seen his image. His... No, I have, uh, <laughs> but but I but I I understand that 
before he was president of the United States, he actually was in moving pictures. Yes. But that, that was when he was quite a bit younger than when he was president of the United States. Right. So when I try and envision Ronald Reagan and the Humphrey Bogart role, it's President Reagan that I'm seeing it, and that doesn't work. Uh, no, it wouldn't be the same. But that uh, significantly preceded his presidency. So like you said, he would have been a lot, lot younger. But probably still not as cool as Bogey. I mean, Reagan was cool, but but really? <laughs> but but uh, Bogey? Yeah. There's only uh, one no. Bogey, and he's in about yeah. 100 movies, and he's the same character in every single one of them. <laughs> he's in a lot of films noir. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty... He's. I, I, I'm just amazed. I'm amazed. Okay. Two things about AFI's, American Film Institute's 100 you know, greatest whatever lists. Um, one, here's a piece of trivia for you. On their list of 100 greatest quotes of, from all films, six quotes from Casablanca, which kind of blows my mind. Especially when we, we already touched on how many different screenwriters were involved and kind of how the production was, was not a smooth vision from beginning to end. Right. The second thing about the AFI 100 lists has completely escaped my mind, and I can't remember what I was just going to say. <laughs> It was going to be good, though. Was it something about Bogey? Yes. Uh, he's the number one actor of all time. On the AFI list. On the AFI list, yeah. Number one actor of all time. And, I mean, I love Bogey. And and I hate to... Okay, let me be st- stricken forever for this. But he kind of reminds me of Keanu Reeves in that he sort of says, plays the same character in almost every film that he's in. And so but he's really different great... from Keanu Reeves. Because I like the character that he plays in every film, and right. I don't like I don't like the Keanu Reeves character. So he's not, he's not a transformative actor from one role to the next. He does not he, you know he's not Daniel Day Lewis where you're like whoa that's the same guy in this movie. No, he's, that Paul, movie. he's no Paul Giamatti. <laughs> Another good transformative one. Yeah, he he was the Rhino in Amazing Spider-Man two, and the manager in Cinderella Man, and you would not put those two together. Giamatti, not uh, Bogart. Right. Yes. <laughs> Let's say we start spoiling things. Spoiler alert. Okay. Spoil it. Let's spoil. What do you think? Great uh, bogey moments. There's a couple. I, I love the angry drunk bogey. Uh, after, I, I just want to say Ingrid Bergman. What's her character's name? Elsa? Ilsa? Ilsa. Ilsa. Uh, he, well, first of all, we, it needs to be said that Humphrey Bogart and Ilsa have wonderful chemistry together. Um, I was listening a little on the, uh, the commentary. There's a commentary track by uh, Roger Ebert. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I kind of flipped in between that and a film historian that was talking about it when I was prepping for this. Uh, but I stopped at a moment when uh, Bergman and Bogart were on screen together. And uh, Ebert said more or less uh, that, you know, whatever chemistry is, which is a term that gets thrown out, you know, and it's indefinable. No one really, you know, tries to define it. They just say, oh, they, they have chemistry. Uh, Bogart and Bergman have it. Whatever it is, whatever you, you want to call chemistry. Agreed. Um, but there's uh, w- when he first sees his girlfriend who uh, left him at a rail station in Paris. They were going to be leaving Paris right after the Germans invaded. And she didn't show up. And he's angry about that. He hasn't seen her for years. And she shows up again. And uh, there's a couple scenes of him realizing that she's in town and that she, she could use his help. Uh, and then 
uh, he he's getting drunk in his in his uh, his club one night when she shows up, and he is an angry drunk, which is uh, some good acting that happens in that scene. Yeah, Bogey yeah. does a Bogey does a great uh, a great drunk. He's fantastic drunk in uh, Queen of the Nile. Is that was Queen of the Nile with uh, Catherine Hepburn. I I'm think it's called Queen of the Nile. I'm going to go with yes right now. He's drunk for probably three quarters or more <laughs> of that film, and it's actually really, really good. It's, uh, but he's not. Well, actually, he is kind of angry and drunk. But you get uh, uh, he's an angry drunk, but you also get the layers of emotion. Like you get the hurt, you get the anger, you get that he still actually longs for her. You get all of that going on. And the, the reason that it works for me is because it's set up the 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 setup is that that's not him. I mean, when we meet Rick at the beginning of the film, he's completely put together. He sits in his club. He never drinks with anybody. He's completely he's aloof stay- from the crowd. He's separate. But not sad. I mean, he doesn't come across as uh, isolated or... I mean, not isolated in the... Not sad isolated, you know? Right, yeah. I mean, he just yeah. is... He, he, he's he, completely in control. He's a higher every class than everyone around him, right? He, he, and yeah, he, he, plays he has chess. connections. He has political connections. He has underworld connections. He's obviously running some scams from his, his bar that he, yeah, that, that he's paying off the right people to make them all work. Yeah. yeah he, it reminds me of, there's a, there's a Spanish novel called Papel Mojado. And at the very beginning of it, it's a, it's a noir, uh, novel, like a new noir, new noir novel. And, um, at the very beginning of the book. Five times fast. New noir. It's like the rural juror. <laughs> uh, so at the beginning of this novel, this guy says, it looks like on the outside, like I'm all put together, but there's this beast inside of me. And like at any moment, it's just going to like completely devour me. And that's, uh, that's how I see Bogart in this film. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's got, he's got everything put together. And you don't suspect it, and but when when as soon as he sees her, as soon as he hears the song play, when time as time goes by, the whole thing just comes crashing down around him. Right, and you see little. Great. Uh, he he starts falling apart, you know, in in pieces. Like he he's angry at Sam uh, a little bit, saying, you know, why are we playing that? Uh, he sees her and he's shaken. He actually sits down to drink with her and her husband, which uh, has been well established that he never does. He doesn't, he never drinks with patrons. So, you know, this is a, a new, new Rick that we're seeing. Yeah. It's, I, I think here's the thing that I think about the screenplay. The screenplay to me totally works because there are these short, like one line things that say so much about, about the character of the, of the people. Um, Rick has you know millions of them. I stick my neck out for nobody. Um, uh, I'm completely neutral. Uh, and Louis has them. Ilsa has them. Everybody, but but they don't have this. They don't have to talk for paragraphs and paragraphs for you to get who they are, what they want. It's all. It's all. There are all these one-liners, and it just keeps things moving along really well. I think. Yeah, and uh, as you said. Bogart tends to play the same character and um, you know, he's, he's the gruff tough guy on the outside, but of course he has a soft heart. And another moment that I think really uh, illustrates that is when we see him helping a couple to get uh, the money they need to obtain their papers to be able to escape from Casablanca. Um, And he does it with 
<laughs> in, a, in a way that reveals that he's got everything fixed in his his establishment because uh, <laughs> the the husband is is trying to gamble uh, on a roulette wheel enough to to earn enough money to to buy passage and the wife comes and you know pleads her case to to Rick and he just goes and talks uh to the husband and tells him what numbers to put it on and the guy wins enough money in two rolls <laughs> to <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> to escape which makes you wonder uh, what else is going on at that roulette wheel <laughs> yeah absolutely i so i have a question for you about this so at what point do you think that – so we have – beginning of the film, we've got this kind of hard-boiled, uh, isolated, completely in control of his world, Rick. Then he meets Ilsa, and then he's really mad, and he drinks a bunch. And then right after that is when we have this scene with him helping these people at, at the thing. So my question is – would the do you think the scene where he's helping this girl do you think it would have worked equally as well before he meets Ilsa or is there something in his meeting Ilsa that makes him more willing to already stick his neck out as we'll see him do later I can see it. Is that, yeah that makes yeah. sense yeah no I, like if, if Ilsa hadn't shown up would he have still done this yeah That's kind of what you're asking and I could see it both ways because later on through flashbacks and other references we find out that he uh in europe was uh kind of help always helping out the underdogs uh in in the tough political situations that europe was experiencing in the early 20th century uh and so that was part of his character um and so you could see it happening but at the same time what we're also what we also see, what's really firmly established, is that after the train station, he became a different person. We went to Casablanca. You know, he kind of set up his own kingdom. So I could see it happening either way. So, you know, either that he's completely now cut off, he's not helping anyone because uh, that's when he was, you know, the younger, more romantic. And uh, Rick is the one who helped people. And after Ilsa doesn't come to the train station, he's no longer romantic at all. He's cut all that off. And now he's just in it for himself, what's best for him. That's how I read it. The latter one that he's just in it for himself. Yeah, so I think that I think that pre Ilsa Rick would have helped. Uh, I think that post Ilsa Rick would not have helped. He right, didn't but, help but, a guard. He didn't help a guardy at the beginning. Oh, you, so you're saying when you say pre Ilsa, though, we need to clarify. So pre Ilsa in Paris, Rick would have pre Ilsa in Paris. So yeah, post I'm talking about Ilsa not showing up at the train station. Rick would not have helped. But now, the Rick, the Rick that we made at the beginning of the film would not have helped this couple. But just seeing Ilsa is enough to, you know, reignite some of those flames of caring. Yep. That's what I think. I like that. I'll, I'll go with that. Again, I can see it either way, but I, I think I prefer the latter interpretation. Well, he doesn't help Ugarte at the very at the very beginning. Ugarte's yeah, in right. trouble. He's right. murdered the German guys, and Rick says, "You know what? I don't stick my neck out for anybody." You're right. And oh, then, and you then, convinced me. Okay. Good. Well, that was my whole. I was. I, it actually was a like an honest question. I wasn't. It wasn't like a like a setup. Right. But, um, but I think you're talking about it helped me to clarify my own thoughts and on this. A, a little side note: uh, Ugarte is played by Peter Lorre, who is um, just such a memorable presence on any film that he's ever in. Uh, he also always plays the same character. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, just uh, his voice and his look is is so iconic that I don't know that he could ever play anything else. Other moments that we want to talk about here? Um, what about the uh, the flashbacks to the younger Rick? Did anything? 
stand out to you in those in those sequences? That I'll tell you what, that is a different version of Bogart. That's true. It is. I mean, he just he looks so innocent and so bright eyed and in love, and he looks like Carrie, almost like like a like a young Cary Grant or something. I mean, just is so foreign to see Bogart like that. But I think he pulls it off. Yeah, and I, I do have to give also props to the wardrobe and makeup people because he does look younger in those sequences. Yeah. I mean, some of it's his acting, obviously, but uh, they did a good job. of. And of so him. does she. She looks like she's 15. <laughs> she does look younger, yes. Uh, and, well, and I guess this is a... Uh, maybe we should go ahead and, and uh, just talk briefly about her character because famously the actress has said that she didn't know who she was supposed to be in love with which some people have taken because the production was so kind of haphazard to mean that she didn't know what the end of the film was. But some film historians have gone back and looked at like the actual shooting logs and everything say that they shot the, the ending of the film when she gets on the plane with Laszlo fairly early in the shooting schedule. So uh, what I think she meant is that she didn't know which, like as, as a not as like a narrative, she didn't know which one she was going to end up with, but as a character, she didn't know which one she loved more. Because we see her like really truly in love with, with Bogart in those flashbacks. But we also see how torn she is in the present. And um, this was one of the, the tweaks to the plot as uh, the studio and other writers were coming in is they added this uh, story that it, it wasn't an affair, which I think it was in the original play. It was just an affair that she had in Paris. Yeah. Uh, but they, they made it so that she believed Laszlo, her husband had been killed in a concentration camp when she met Rick. So she thought she was a widow uh, unattached, uh, and she slowly fell in love with this charming American. And the reason she didn't show up at the train station is because that she got word that her husband was actually alive. Um, and so those those flashbacks kind of you know take on different different meanings as you get through these different stages of of the film. And these different revelations happen as to like when her relationship was with Laszlo, what the relationship was, why she was in the re- relationship with Rick. How do you feel about her as a character? I mean, did you do you like? I mean. I think, I'll tell you right now, of all the parts of this film, I think, I feel like she's kind of the weakest. I mean, I, I don't I don't I really say, like her as a character. Um, as a performance, I like her performance because I do get the sense of torn. As a performance, I think the weakest one may be Laszlo, actually. Yeah, I go with that. Um, I, I do like her performance, but I don't like her character. Yeah, um, because she's... I mean, some of it may be that Ingrid Bergman said she didn't know what she was supposed to be feeling from scene to scene. And uh, it kind of, as, a, as an audience, it's hard to really nail down what her feelings are, too. I mean, which, it's it's a complex situation they've created for her to be in. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like she has no agency. I mean, maybe she does, but... Well, she almost, she tries to... Uh, you know, take control, but really, uh, so later on, she, she tries to go to Humphrey and demand the papers that they need to be able to escape Casablanca. But the whole scene, you just feel like Humphrey's the one that's really in control. Yeah, she pulls a gun on him. He says, shoot me. There's such great lines. So when, uh, when she's pointing the gun at him, he says, uh, shoot me, you'll be doing me a favor. Later in the film, when, when Bogart is pointing the gun at Louis, he says, I've got this pointed right at your heart. And Louis says, what does he say? That's, that's my, that's least, that's my, least least my least vulnerable spot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but then right after that, then 
you know, he walks up to her, give her a big hug. Now everything's fine. We're in love with each other. And then she says, you have to think for both of us, for all of us. And I just think, no, no, you should think for yourself. Well, and even uh, I was trying to break down this plot to someone. And when I was trying to describe the airport scene, and I'm like, and I guess she's ready to get on the plane with either one of them. And she doesn't know <laughs> which one she's going to get on the plane with until Humphrey tells her. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. She gets uh, pushed around a lot. Yeah. And- I mean, for such a, I mean, I mean, she, I think she does well with the material that she's given, but it's not, it's not it's the not, strongest material. It's not like the crowning moment of uh, strong feminine characters in American film. Yeah. Um, cause it, I mean, throughout the film, essentially it's, um, Blaine and Laszlo kind of have a human decency contest to see which one's going to be more decent to the other by giving the other one, <laughs> the woman, <laughs> Right. <laughs> and it, no one really says, which one do you want? <laughs> and she never really says. Maybe this is what, maybe this is what low IQ Canadian was, was coming on to. Yeah. Yeah. Just talking maybe through we'll... this, I'm becoming less impressed with her character. <laughs> uh, anything so, uh, else about Rick Blaine though, uh, that you want to touch on? Um, let me look at my notes really quickly here. Well, we have to talk about this final scene, right? Yeah. The airport scene. Yeah. Well, uh, why don't we do that? And then there's one kind of more general abstract note about the character of Rick and Bogart, all of Bogart's character I want to get to. Okay. I don't know what to say about the final scene, except that it's one of the most famous scenes in all of film and we should talk about it. I mean, it's just like, it's like a, uh, who's who of great movie quotes. They're just, you know, just saying like thing after thing that you've heard a million times, like on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, yeah, I mean, throughout this whole film, like you said, there's there's so many wonderful quotes. Do you do you have the AFI list to say which six are actually on the quote on the list? I do. It's uh, I'll tell you right now. Um, the the here's looking at you, kid. That's number five. Yeah, Louis. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful re- friendship. That's number twenty. And that's the last line of the whole film, correct? Yep. Uh, play I, it, Sam. Play think- as time goes by. That's 28. Um, I was going to say, I've heard that the Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, was actually dubbed in at the end of the film. They hadn't, they hadn't filmed it on set, and they decided they needed something to, to button up the film. And they had uh, him come in and post and, and say a line. They said, this will be the 20th best movie quote of all time. <laughs> Deliver it well. Uh, you got number 28, play it, Sam, play it as, play as time goes by. And here's the thing. Everybody thinks that the quote is, play it again, Sam. Yeah, I was going to say, this is one of those kind of like, uh, you know, Luke, uh, I'm your father. You know, the quotes right. that everyone thinks is in the movie, but it's not. It's not. So they never say, play it again, Sam. She says, play it, Sam. Play it as time goes by. We've got round up the usual sp- suspects. We've got, we, uh, we'll always have Paris. Uh, that's uh, 43. We've got 67 of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world. She walks into mine. That's 67. That's it. And number 100, I'm King of the World. Oh, no, that's from a different film. <laughs> um, what about the, uh, the from the final scene on, at the airport? There's the famous, uh, if that plane leaves the ground and you're not with him, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. Did that make well, the list? Didn't make the list, but it made the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, it's, uh, it is a, uh, I would say, as iconic as, as those that made the list. Um, the maybe not today, yeah. maybe not tomorrow part, especially. Well, they did get six. They got yeah. six quotes in the top 100. At some point, somebody has to say, all right, you guys, 
<laughs> but enough. <laughs> enough is enough. Casablanca is well represented in the top 100 quotes. Um, so what are you thinking about, Rick, at the, uh, at the end? I don't know what order we'll be posting these in, but we've talked about three things so far. We've talked about The West Wing, Two Cathedrals, Jed Bartlett, Astonishing X-Men, Kitty Pride, and now uh, Casablanca. And all of these characters go through the same arc, and it's not like a, a coincidence. It is, it's the arc, but you have uh, this person who is a fighter, was a fighter, becomes unable or unwilling to fight, and then at some point kind of reaches rock bottom, makes a decision, you know, I'm getting back in the fight. And that's t- absolutely what happens at the end of this film. Um, he, he's back in the fight. And, and uh, Laszlo actually says to him, welcome back to the fight. Yeah, and there's uh, there's the quote that uh, I'm going to be possibly paraphrasing, possibly nailing it. It's something along the lines of, if you stop breathing, you die. If you stop fighting, the world dies. Something along those lines. The world loses. I'd, go, I'd, I'd take that. I'd put that on the top 100. That's a good, great quote. I'm pretty sure it's from this film that I watched. And, they both, and, and Louis and, and Rick both become fighters, and they, I mean, they stick it all out. He says, I stick my neck out for no one, and in the end, he's, he's ready to stick his neck out, back out for everybody. And it's this not is just who he that... is. This is, not, this is not something new. This is what he's done. He fought with the Republicans in Spain. He was running the, the guns in Ethiopia. This is, this is who he is. Yeah, the, the broken Rick is not the angry drunk Rick that is you know, shaken by seeing his old girlfriend. The broken Rick is the one that has gone and gone in only for himself. Right. The broken Rick is the one we see at the very beginning who's playing chess and wears his fancy white coat and doesn't drink with his customers and seems to have everything put together. That's the guy with the problem. And is, the, guy yeah. the problem is not the guy who's drinking and sad. Mm-hmm. At least he's at least he feels something. Right. And that and that whole all of that pain that he feels when he meets her, and and this is what we were talking about before. All of that pain is what allows him to break through that the the walls that he set up and get back in the fight. It's where he should be. Right. Uh, this this character, I mean, as we've said, Humphrey is almost always playing this character. And this, this character type is an iconic one of uh, the individual who has kind of underworld connections, who, who isn't really part of polite society, but protects society. Um, you know, and it goes back in American popular culture to the frontiersmen, to the cowboys, to the hard-boiled detectives, which Bogart always plays. A lot of our superheroes are that way. Uh, they use the skills of the outsider to protect the community itself. Um, so, you know, I, famously, it's the, you know, the cowboy who rides in and uses violence to protect those who won't use violence because they represent, uh, you know, society and, and the growth of, of humanity. Uh, but they have to use the skills that they know because they're not part of that society in order to protect it. The, you know, the outsider hero. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Rick is in this. Uh, which version of Rick? The, the freedom fighter Rick. No, not not the one who's just getting rich by you know by bilking the gamblers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I mean, we don't know where we don't know where he and Louis are headed, but they're headed to do good. I mean, to be in the fight and find some cause and and do and and fight for it. Yeah, the um, one of the uh, the other commentaries that's on this uh, my my copy that I have is by a film historian named Rudy uh, Belmer, and he talked uh, that there was a version of the, the script or a plan uh, in in reshoots to add a final scene of um, Rick and Louis 
uh, on a boat uh, heading off to somewhere. That was going to be the closing shot was, was them actually on a boat preparing to go be involved in one of the situations that they could have been involved with. You know, obviously, I like, there were plenty. But, I like uh, seeing them walk into the fog. I agree. It, it's much better the way it is. And the reason we don't have that other ending is they couldn't get the actor who played Louis back on set uh, in enough time <laughs> to film it. Uh, and I think it, it, it's a better film for not having that scene added on. Thank goodness. So uh, here's a question. So do you, in what ways do you think that he's changed at the end from, from the, the flashback Rick? This dewy-eyed, innocent, freedom-fighting Rick? Is he the, is, has he become the same guy again? Or is there some big key difference between who he is at the end of this film and who he was before the film started? Um, I think his, his time when he, he wasn't you know, the romantic freedom fighter... I think it's kind of what I was just saying. It's given him a set of skills as um, that he wouldn't have had, uh, you know, uh, connections to people he wouldn't have been connected with. Uh, he knows how the underworld works more. He knows other ways of getting things done uh, than maybe the initial Rick would have been. So I think even though he's gone back to a caring character that's going to try and, and do better in the world, he actually is going to have a better skill set than if he had always been that character. I think he's probably less, I mean, I don't know. But I, w- I would suspect that maybe he's less concerned about getting his hands dirty. Right. I mean, it's it's part of being the outsider. He shoots yeah. he shoots the Nazi, you know, straight up at the end. Um, which we I, we're not given a whole lot of his past. Uh, we don't know if that's the first person he's killed, but it's it's quite uh, abrupt that he makes the decision to do it yeah. at the end of the film. By the way, the Nazis, um, great classic bad guy in so many of our narratives because it's, you know, there, there's usually so little that's redeemable, but these were very polite Nazis in, in Casablanca. They were, yeah. They were, they were really concerned about following, uh, the bureaucracies. You know, they really respected having signatures on a passport a lot before they were willing to stop someone <laughs> and arrest them. <laughs> it's like, this guy has escaped from our concentration camps. He's been, we've tried to kill him like five times because he's in, uh, free French Casablanca, Morocco, then we... Hands off. Just, hands off, yeah. <laughs> and they sort of threaten him like, ooh, you know, Casablanca is it's not the safest place in the world. Bad stuff can happen. But but yeah, they, they treat him really nice. So I read that this um, this actor that played uh, Strasser, who's the, the main Nazi guy, was actually married to a woman who was a Jew and hated Nazis and hated the the whole all of this the stuff that was going on in Germany and he only would take r- r- the roles or he he especially liked playing the role of a really bad Nazi guy cuz he felt like he was like doing his part for the for the effort right like if he could really if he could really bad. nail a bad Nazi guy then more people would join the cause. <laughs> that was really cool. That is cool. I don't know that this is the worst Nazi I've ever seen portrayed on film, though. No, he's not like evil <laughs> incarnate. He's yeah. just a... He's just a bureaucrat, really. <laughs> that occasionally <laughs> makes some threats that doesn't follow through on them and then gets shot by the American. Well, Alrighty. That's all I got for this film. I don't I don't know what else if you have any other thoughts or questions or stuff you want to talk about. 
No, I think we covered most of the the points that I wanted to uh, to address. And this, I think we we got to some uh, interesting points that I hadn't thought about, particularly in some of our our uh, discussion about Ilsa. Um, were there any other side characters that you wanted to address? Uh, Sam, anything you want to say about? Oh, that? so Sam has uh, absolutely has uh, his Charlie moment from from the West Wing, where uh, where uh, Rick is telling him go home. And he says, I'm not going home. If you're not going home, I'm not going home. I'm sticking it out with you. And um, there's this, this kind of loyalty that we see, I think. So we've, we're have we pretty fresh into this, exploring great characters and great stories. But I suspect that most of the great characters that we see in great stories will also be surrounded by really loyal people, like great friends. And uh, It's certainly been true so and, far. Yeah, and teaser next episode about the Hobbit also drew. Yeah, so um, so I really like Sam. I also really like the professor. The the is the I don't know what his job is. He's like the mater, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that he's great. I really liked his character. Yeah, I think it was uh again again just listening to to some of those commentaries. I think it was Roger Ebert who said the relationship between uh, Bogart and, and Sam or Rick and Sam while, you know, not earth shattering, it was kind of out of place for film uh, when this one was made, uh, both for when the film was made and for the era that it was being portrayed to have yeah. uh, the African American and, and uh, the white man as, as truly best friends that, that know each other inside and out. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I liked those characters and I loved Louie. I just, he's so, Oh, I forgot. One of my other favorite quotes is Louis when he uh, he's told that he has to shut the club down. He's like, I don't have any reason to shut the club down. <laughs> and he's told to think of one. And he just suddenly yells, I am shocked, shocked to discover that there's gambling in this establishment. <laughs> and orders everyone out. And they're handing him his winnings on, on the way out. <laughs> Louis, You're winning, sir. Thank, thank you. <laughs> shocked, shocked. I tell you. Uh, yeah, Louis is another uh, wonderful character. And and like you said, uh, we're we're focusing on uh, certain characters, but there's always going to be other wonderful characters in their orbits. Um, yeah, in the well-told stories that we we look at. Yeah, I think it's pretty rare to find one really great character surrounded by a bunch of weak characters. Right, and uh, it could be because you know there's a singular authorial voice that's writing really good characters all around, or it could be because you know something happens right in the production. As this one, uh, I can't remember the film critic, but film critic said this this film stands in condemnation to auteur theory. Uh, auteur theory being that you know you need a singular vision uh, that guides a film, and it's it's their voice, um, and usually it's the director. Uh, but with this film, there were so many cooks in the kitchen that it all turned out great. It doesn't always turn out great. It does not. Uh, and auteur theory doesn't always work out either. <laughs> but but this particular example uh, shows that you know out of out of some some chaos, some good creativity can come about. Yeah. All right, should we button it up? Yeah, I wish we had an outro. I just want to throw in one last thing. Go for it. The, like the one piece of trivia I know about this, <laughs> the the kiss because of the haze code, they do that camera movement around the room. So they like start the kiss and then they pan out and down and around and back up and they're still kissing because haze code five seconds kiss on screen. They got around it. Who knew? Because you watch that and it's like, well, that's like, it's like a twenty-five second kiss and you know it. 
but they can only show five seconds on the t- on screen at a time. Huh. Are we thinking of the same kiss? I'm trying to. Which kiss are we talking about? Isn't it the the night when she after yeah, the gun, when she points the gun at him? When she says, "You think for both of us." Think I'm so. done thinking. You think for both of us. Think for all of us. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst. Not. Not on AFI's 100 Greatest Clothes list. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of an Ophelia moment for Ilsa. (laughs) Yeah. Let all the men tell me what to do and think and feel. That wraps up this episode. You can find our full show notes and a list of all our episodes at protagonistpodcast.com. Also, please let us know how we're doing by sending us email at feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or find us on Twitter. I'm at Todd K. Mack. He is at Jay Dorowski. Our producer is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And please join us next week when we will be back here talking about another great character and a great story. Exactly. I mean, the whole turning point of that film is, hello, Buffy. My dog's here. <laughs> I thought I said in reference to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Because <laughs> guess what? She goes through that same character a few times. Buffy does episode. go through this. Buff, Buffy does go through. No, my Buffy's here. Buffy, don't chew on my computer cords. Go out of here. Hey. 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 Hang on one sec.